Last week we started a, a new series, and we're, we're just calling it Come Holy Spirit. One of our desires as a church is to host the Holy Spirit, okay? We, as individuals, as, as believers, each of us hosts the Holy Spirit within us. But as a, as a body, as a corporate body, we want to host Him because whenever He's present, folks, things happen, okay? Now that ought to get at least one amen. Or if I've already terrified you, and, and, and I, it's gonna, I'm going to be preaching to the, to the fearful and the scared today. When the Holy Spirit's present, folks, things happen, okay? Life springs up. Not crazy stuff. Life springs up. Uh, people are, are born again. Uh, 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 people begin to love in different ways, and on and on and on I could go. And so we want to host the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing in this study is we're just allowing the Bible to speak for itself on who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. Okay? We're just going to, we're going to walk through Scripture and we're going to learn who the Holy Spirit is so that when we talk about having a relationship with Him, we're not terrified or frightened because we've heard this or we've heard that and we're fearful. We're going we're gonna to be able to have a relationship because we know who He is. Today, I'm just calling this a proper introduction because genuine relationship always begins with a proper introduction. I'll never forget the first time I saw Kathy. Uh, I'd heard about her. I'd seen her, okay? But I'd never been introduced to her. I was, I was out of high school. I was 20 years old. She was still in high school. And so I'd never talked with her. I'd never spent any time with her. I, I knew a few things about her. Okay, my friends had had shared some things and and her friends had shared some things, but I didn't really know her. Okay, all that changed one Friday night after halftime when I climbed up the bleachers and I sat down beside her and we had a proper introduction. We did. There's lots of things going on in my mind. I just leave them alone, okay? I'm going to leave the mystery there, and that's all I need to do. But that introduction, that, that meeting that night, sparked uh, uh, what would become a friendship. And then it became a marriage. And it, it's become a, a genuine relationship that has lasted over 42 years. That introduction began a journey where we begin to learn who the other person was. Now, I, I'm just be straight up honest with you. I'm still learning, okay? I don't know, gentlemen, if you know this or not, but the last thing God created was the woman. And he started off very simple in the creation, and she was the very last thing that he created, okay? Which means she is the most complex. And I don't say this... Now, this is not a time to laugh, okay? We laugh because we don't understand this, okay? But the woman is far more complex than we are. Amen? Amen? Amen. And if you live long enough, you will learn that what you have learned is only a little bit about her. There's still more to learn. Amen? Amen? That's the way it is with God, okay? I really believe that God created the woman, one of the purposes was to remind us how complex God is. It's not funny anymore, is it? <laughs> Turn that one, didn't I? 
God's complex, okay? He's like a, he's a, if, you, if you've got a diamond and you hold it up in the light, they're all kind of facets. Every time you turn it, you see things. That's the way God is. But that's also the way that the woman is. And so uh, I've, I've spent a lifetime, okay? I've been married twice as long as I was single. Maybe three times. I don't, it's three times almost as long as I was single. No, it's not. I, I can do a little math, okay? I'm not that old. But I'm still, every day I learn something new. And so that's what happens in a relationship. But tragically, tragically, most Christians have never really had a proper introduction to the Holy Spirit. Okay? We, we really had We know who God is. I mean, we're like, we're like that, that demonic spirit there that, that met the sons of Sceva. Uh, Jesus we know. Paul we've heard of. But who are you? That's the way we are as Christians. God we know. Jesus we've heard of. But Holy Spirit, who are you? We don't really know the Holy Spirit. All most people have ever, or all they know about the Holy Spirit is what a pastor or a teacher has taught them. And very often that was all funneled through a a, a denominational or a certain kind of belief, a type of strainer there to make sure that a specific theology or a specific doctrine was protected. How many of you realize that we all have our doctrines we try to protect? Okay, that's just the way it is. And so, therefore, a, a genuine relationship with him is almost non-existent for many believers in the church today. They don't know who he is. He's the mystery guy, okay? They understand God pretty much. And Jesus, I mean, the New Testament's full of him. That's, that's all we talk about, but we don't really understand the Holy Spirit. Now, we've heard about him, okay? Don't get me wrong. And, and we've seen his power from time to time. But who he is, his true identity, is kind of still of a mystery. And, and you know how mysteries are. They take on a life of their own. If you don't, think about Bigfoot. Okay? Think about the Loch Ness Monster. And if I could think of that creature in Mexico, I'd, I'd mention his name. Becky knows it. Yeah, the Chimacabra, that's it. I mean, there's all kind of myths, and I mean, they're mysteries. I mean, you can't prove they're not true, but you can't prove they are true. And, and what happens when you have a mystery, it takes on a life of its own and creates all kind of chaos and all kind of confusion, and, and especially in the religious realm. And what it does is it births all these religious fables, all these sanctified tales, all this folk religious beliefs that people come up with to explain away or to justify our ignorance of the mystery, okay? But I want you to make, I want you to hear me, make no mistake about this. The Holy Spirit is a bit mysterious, but He is not a mystery according to the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, a mystery is something that has yet been revealed, to be revealed. In the Old Testament, Salvation by grace of the Gentiles was a mystery. The Jews knew nothing about that. that it wasn't talked about. It, it, was, it, was, it was a mystery. But as you get into the New Testament, God begins to progressively reveal, and it's no longer a mystery anymore. It's not hidden. It's not unknown. That's what a mystery is. The Holy Spirit has been revealed progressively. Folks, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, 
All right? All the way through the book of Revelation. Yet he's still a bit mysterious. Okay? Which means not fully explainable. He's not a mystery. We, 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 we should know who he is. But he is mysterious. We, we can't fully explain him. He is, after all, God. And God's a little bit mysterious. I mean, it's impossible for someone who is finite like us to explain someone who is infinite like God. We don't have that capability. And so, he's a little bit mysterious, but he's not a mystery. John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, yes, the Spirit is, uh, the Holy Spirit is a little bit mysterious. Now it's interesting in Scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that the same word for breath and wind and Spirit is the same. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's ruach. And so it's, it, ruach can mean spirit, it can mean wind, it can mean breath. You have to translate it with the context. And very often the context is not as clear as we would want it to be. In the New Testament, the, the Greek word is pneuma. It's where we get pneumatic. Okay, if you're familiar with that, air and tires, okay, it's the same word. It, it means spirit, it means breath, it means uh, wind. And it's interesting here in this, Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. Okay, so we know that's not, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, because, in, and I'll talk about this more later. But the New Testament writers use masculine pronouns. When they're talking about the spirit. Now the, the word spirit is a neuter, uh, a neuter word. It, it ha- it's not male. It's not female. It's not masculine. It's not feminine. And they break the rules of the language. And they use masculine pronouns. His. He. But here it tells us. Jesus is talking about wind here. He says the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it. In other words. Nicodemus Listen. You can, you can sense the wind. You can feel it, but you can't see it. You don't know where it comes from. And then he says this. He, he, liken, he likens that to the Holy Spirit. He says, but those who are born again by the Spirit are the same way. It's a, it's a mystery. Jesus' point is, is, is that the, the Holy Spirit is a bit mysterious because He's not fully explainable or controllable. His effects are undeniable and unmistakable, okay? We're not going to be able to fully explain Him. And if that's your goal, and you're not going to be satisfied until you do it, God bless you. Eternity will be a long time on that hunt, okay? It's just not going to happen. But we can understand what has been revealed to us. In other words, He's not a mystery anymore. He's not unrevealed. He's not hidden. And so I, I want to just today, I want to teach a little bit. I don't, I don't know that I'm going to preach, but I'm, I'm going to teach a little bit. And the first thing I want you to understand is, is that, first of all, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? 
We, we believe in one God who manifests himself in three persons. Okay? We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. God the Father, He manifests Himself that way. He manifests Himself as God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is God. And He is recognized as God in the Bible. He's called God, in fact. If, we, we, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. I'll give you a little context real quickly. This is where the, the early church is gathering together and a couple named Ananias and Sapphira have sold some land. And everybody's giving money to take care of those who, who don't have enough to eat, who've been put out of their families because they've, they've come to Christ. And so Ananias and Sapphira come, and they come at different times, and they decide, you know what? We're going to hold a little bit of this cash back, which there was nothing wrong with that, except when they were asked, is this everything? They said, yeah, it is. And they lied. And you know the story. Ananias falls dead. Sapphira comes in a few minutes later. She tells the same story. Boom, she falls dead. I understand the story. I'm just not going to explain it today because it's not necessary for what I'm trying to, to communicate. But Peter says, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was so, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, see? he says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have lied to God. So in that one verse, the Holy Spirit is God. That's what, that's what uh, uh, Peter is saying. So he, first of all, he's God. If you look throughout the New Testament, 16 times the Holy Spirit is related by name to God the Father or God the Son, Jesus Christ. In Acts 16, 7, you're going to see some passages that flash up today, okay? Uh, Tom's went to a lot of work to get them up there, but I want you to write them down because some of these you're going to have to look at because they're just not going to be up there long enough for you to read because I'm not going to read them, okay? But Acts 16, 7, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 11, he's called the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He's the Spirit of God. He's, he's the Spirit, okay? He's God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit also has attributes which only God has. Think about those attributes for a minute. Omniscience. Omnipotence. Omnipresence. Those are, those are attributes that only God possesses. For example, He's omniscient. The Holy Spirit is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, you know what you're thinking. You know your mind. He goes on to say in the latter part of that verse, even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. So if the Spirit of God knows the mind of God, He's omniscient. He knows what is in God. He knows everything. He's also omnipresent. And by that I mean He's present everywhere at the same time. 
This is what David said in Psalms 139, 7. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. There's no place I can go. He talks about the highest hills, the lowest valleys, the deepest sea. You're already there. You're there when I get there is what David says. So the Holy Spirit is is omnipresent. He's omniscient. But he's also omnipotent. And I say that by virtue of what he does, his work in creation. And we're going to talk a little bit about more about that, but I'm going to, I'm going to share just a little bit. But Job chapter 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. And the breath, or it could be the Spirit of the Almighty, gives me life. The Holy Spirit also performs some actions which in Scripture can only be attributed to God. They're only attributed to Him. The Holy Spirit, whether you realize this or not, was involved in the creation of the world. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in in the weeks to come. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving. That word moving is the picture of a mother hen doing this. Over her chicks. Those of you that have chickens or have had chickens or been around chickens have seen this. The, the, that hen gathers her, uh, her biddies in under her and she just fans. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a beautiful picture there. He begins to vibrate. And you know what happens as he begins to vibrate? Waves start to go out. Do you realize that in order to create, there have to be waves? There have to be energy waves and power waves and light. All of those things travel on those waves. Folks, I'm not a scientist, but that's quantum physics. Okay? That's what that is. The Holy Spirit begins to vibrate. He begins to create the waves on which creation begins to be built. The light, the sound, the energy. The earth was formless and void. It doesn't mean that there was a match. There's nothing there yet. And he begins to, to vibrate and things begin to happen. God begins to speak and those things begin to come into being. The Holy Spirit was a part of creation. Only God can create. The Holy Spirit was also an agent in giving us the inspired or the God-breathed Word of God. This book that we hold in our hands is God-breathed, okay? And I will stand on that. This, this Word, this book has no errors. This Word has no errors. It's infallible. It's inerrant. God breathed this, okay? And folks, when we move from that, we have no anchor. Okay, this is, this is what we have that tells us who Jesus is. This is what we have that tells us who the Father is, who the Spirit is. And, and Scripture says that it was, it was the breath of God, the, the Spirit of God who breathed it. And, and, and first, I mean, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this, But know this first of all. That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's interpretation. Would to God that somebody had read that somewhere along the line. We do it all the time. 
We make it mean what we want it to mean. Folks, it has one meaning. Okay? One. I'm not saying I know the meaning of all of it. But it has one meaning. God spoke it. And it has one meaning. Scripture is, is not a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. In other words, there's not a word in this book that somebody just conjured up and thought it'd be nice to write it down. It got in this book because God breathed it. He gave it to a man. He gave it to a woman. And and they spoke it. They heard what God said. That's what prophecy is. To hear God and to speak the words of God. And so God inspired it. He breathed it out. And folks, if you just study a little bit what's online... This would prove itself. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts and parchments and bits and pieces and whole scrolls. And the veracity of Scripture, the truth of Scripture is proven by every one of them. They validate what is in your Bible every day. You know, we, we, don't, we don't wonder about some of the, the ancient writers of Rome. And you realize there's only one or two manuscripts or, or a piece or two of their work. And yet nobody argues, is it true or not? God's word is true. Okay? He's left himself a witness in the sand. Okay? They still continue to dig up the parts and the, and, and the parchments and, and the pieces and the vellum and the different things that prove it. But it, it's God breathed. The Holy Spirit made sure that those men who sit, that sat down to write or those ladies who heard the prophetic word that, that, that they got what God was saying. Now he used their personalities, okay? Paul doesn't write like John, and John doesn't write like Paul. But he used their personalities. He used their their ability to communicate, but he made sure they used his words. The words he wanted in specific places. It's amazing the difference that an A or a V makes, okay? In John chapter 14, Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, I am a way. I am a truth. I am a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Okay? The Holy Spirit made sure of those little nuances so that it would be true. So the Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures, but the Holy Spirit was also the cause. And we, the only time we really look at this is at Christmas time, but He's the cause of the virgin birth. Okay, I want you to think about that for a moment. We can't explain what transpired. We can't explain how it happened. This is a moment where one of those elements of the mysteriousness comes into play, but we're given the opportunity to believe it by faith. Let's just be honest. We know it's impossible for a baby to be born without a female egg and a male sperm. Amen? Okay, I mean, it's an impossibility. You've got to have both of them. But in the conception of Jesus, the Holy Spirit does something that's unexplainable, something miraculous. And, and the angel explains it. He, he tells Mary before it takes place. He says in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the, she asks, how can that be 
Since I'm a virgin, I've never known a man. And he, he answers, the angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. No human being, listen to me, can take credit for creation. Okay? None of us were there when God spoke the world into existence. No, no human can take credit for the revelation of the Scriptures. And no human being can take credit for the virgin birth. Only God is capable of that. Only God. So the Scriptures are very clear that the Holy Spirit is God. So He's God... He does the things that God does. Here's something we forget sometimes. The Holy Spirit's not only God, He's a person. Okay? He has personal traits. He's, he's not an it. I'm going to say this a bazillion times in the next few minutes. He's a he. He's not an it. Okay? If you use that terminology, get rid of it. He's not some glorified power. He is a person. He's God. Throughout church history, attempts have been made over and over and over to deny his personality, to make him an it. Thus, the personification. That's what, that's what different groups want to do. They want to make him the personification of God's power. But he's not an it, folks. He's a he. The heresies were confronted by different groups of believers in the early days. And what we don't realize is we have a history. We didn't just get here to be able to stand in a place and study the Scripture. Men and women gave their lives so that we could have the truth that God gave in Revelation. Okay, God, you remember I said a while ago the word is God breathed. Well, just because it's God breathed, some people didn't like the way it read. And so they wanted to change it, or they wanted to explain it away. And there were all kind of isms and schisms and heresies. And men and women stood firm. And many of them died, okay? Many of the councils that met in the early church, the, re the, 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 the view that prevailed was the view that had the most power, okay? And if your power waned, guess what? That belief waned. And so there were all kinds of uh, turmoil and things until finally there was a codified belief. And what happened is they just went back to Scripture. They just explained what Scripture said. And so there, those, those heresies are still in effect today. If you talk to a, a Jehovah Witness, okay, they come knocking on your door, they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a he. He's an it. He's, a, he's the power of God. Just because somebody uses the same terminology we use doesn't mean they believe what we believe. Okay? Now, I know you're not supposed to be ugly, and I'm not being ugly, but when they knock on my door, I open it up. I don't hide anymore. Okay? Because I figure I may be the only person on my road that will step out there and talk to them. So they're only going to get exposed to the gospel if I do it. And so I just engage them. I know where they're going. Okay? Buy you some books. They're available. They, they argue in a circular argument. So do the Mormons. So do the Church of Christ. So do all the groups that disbelieve what Scripture says 
according to what Scripture says. They argue in circles. And if you ever get them out of a circle, they don't know where to go. So they go back to the circle. Or, as my Jehovah Witness friends say, I'll send brother so-and-so over here. Which means we got to go because the person I'm training has a lot of doubts right now, and I've got to get them back in the car and re-indoctrinate them. Okay? I'm not being a smart aleck. I'm just confronting them with truth. Okay? I don't bless them on their way, but I give them the truth. You know why? Because God loves them. They've been sold a lie. Okay? They've believed things that are not true. And so th- this is one of those things that the Holy Spirit is in it. Th- the sad thing is I hear that language in the church all the time. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. And he is God. Now, let me get off that particular wagon and let's get back into here, okay? Scripture acknowledges that to be a person, I mean, to be a person, there are three things that are, that are typically necessary, okay? You've got to possess intelligence, you've got to show feelings, and you have to have a will. Those are, those are what we measure personality, personhood by. And Scripture acknowledges that the Holy Spirit possesses those three necessary elements, those attributes of personality. Learning and experiencing the personality of another person is paramount in developing a genuine relationship with that person. If if I'm going to have a relationship with another person, I've got to come to the place where I understand what how they feel, what they think, what they believe. And I have to learn to respect it, even if I disagree with it. And so the Holy Spirit, He has, He has. The ability to show intelligence. He has the ability to show feelings. He has a will. And all of those are the basic necessities of personhood. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. Let me just give you a a verse. We looked earlier at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, and we saw how he searches and, and, and knows the minds of God. He possesses a mind. If he knows, he has a mind. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. See, the Spirit has a mind because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 27. The Holy Spirit not only uh, can think, He has a mind, He's able to teach. Now, if you, if, if you don't have a mind, you can't teach. Amen? Well, at least one of you not confused, Okay. <laughs> It's not a trick question. I know many of you sat in classes where you wondered if the person who was teaching had a mind, okay? And you may be wondering that this morning, but the reality of it is you can't put two thoughts together if you don't have a mind. And so the Holy Spirit has a mind. He's able, he's able to teach. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Folks, at best, without the Spirit of God, you can read this and understand it about this much. At best. But the Spirit of God enlightens 
the spirit of these words and reveals them and translates them and interprets them in ways that we can understand. I have heard some men preach in my lifetime who didn't have a seminary degree, who didn't have a college degree, who didn't even have a high school degree. And can I just tell you, I've heard some of the deepest truths out of those men Deeper, far deeper than I've heard from professors and PhDs and doctors. Why? Because they were taught of the Holy Spirit. I've studied men that didn't even believe this book who had PhDs. And they made no sense. And so the Spirit of God teaches. He teaches. He not only teaches preachers, He teaches people that will just pick this up and trust Him. He teaches all of us. So it's, in t- it's, it's evident that the Holy Spirit has intelligence. And, and can I just add this? He's brilliant. Okay? He's brilliant. Brilliance is knowing everything and being able to communicate it so that the smallest child can understand it. You ever seen the, the light in a child's eye go on when they understand who Jesus is? If you want to have your theology rocked, just go sit with the kids during Bible study. Or sit down and talk. and Engage them in a discussion about spiritual things. They know far more than most of us will ever learn. Okay? That didn't go over big. I can tell. But it's true. Because they ask questions that preachers can't answer. They ask questions that parents and me, moms and papas can't answer. Okay? So it's evident the Holy Spirit, He's brilliant. But the Holy Spirit also expresses feelings. He has feelings. He can be grieved by our sinful works, our sinful words, and our sinful attitudes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. For the day of redemption. If we could not grieve him, that verse would not be in Scripture. The Holy Spirit also possesses and exercises a will. He has a he has a, a will. He makes choices. He does this very often through the distribution of gifts. And, and many of you who met with the, the ladies yesterday probably heard a little bit about this. I know you'll read about some of this uh, as you read through the handout that was given you. But this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 11 says. He says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, all these spiritual gifts, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. This is not in my notes today, but I want you to listen to me. God has given you some gifts because He wanted you to have them. Not the person sitting next to you, not the person that you dream about being like, but because He wanted you to have them because He has a purpose and a plan for your life that only you can fulfill. Somebody else may have to pick up the pieces and do the best they can, but you were created to do it perfectly. You were created and given everything you needed to do it. So don't tell me, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm afraid to do that. Folks, God's given you gifts. You just got to figure out which ones they are and start to walk in them. 
and be who he created you to be. Don't let some pastor, don't let some teacher, don't let some church member force you into a place that you don't fit, okay? Most of my ministry, I was trying to be forced into a square hole, and I'm not a square peg, okay? Nothing wrong with being a square peg. I'm round, I just don't slide down in a square plague. I'm different. And, and we're all made different. I know many of you are going, amen, you're different. But listen, I could say the same thing for all of you. Y'all are all different. And it's a glorious difference. That's, that's, God likes difference. If he didn't, he'd have just made one Adam and one Eve, okay? But he's made millions of us, and we're all different. That's another sermon for another day. But he gives us gifts just as he wills. Just as he wills. I think I'll give Kathy the gift of leadership and organization. Because I've got a husband for her. He doesn't have a clue about that stuff. He's got, he's more on the encourager mercy side. And if, if, if I give her somebody that has the gift of leadership and, and administration, they'll kill each other. So I'll give her somebody else. I could go the other way. I'm going to give Nelson these gifts, but he's going to need somebody to help him because otherwise he's going to wander around in circles and sing que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be, okay? It's true in your lives. If you're married this morning, it's true. If you're, if, if you're in a family you, and your family's all Christians, there's different gifts, okay? And in a church, there's all kinds of gifts. Why? Because we need them to function, to be built up, to be encouraged, to get done what we've been called to do. Look, we can't go to enough seminars to learn how to do stuff. We can't go to enough and, 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 and invest enough money in programs. We have to depend on the gifts that the Spirit of God has given us, okay? Because He's given us everything we need to carry out the assignment that He's given us to carry out. So He gives them just as He wills. He also guides the activities of believers. That is, if you will listen, He will guide you. There's a passage in the Old Testament I remind myself of over and over and over, which says this, you will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. This is the way, do this. Now he won't do this, okay? Do this, do this. He'll just say, do this, do this. You missed it there. It's kind of like your, how many of you have a, a, what do you call them? GPS. Turn right. Turn right. Turn right. Turn right. Turn right. Turn right. Recalculating. Go to the end of the block. Three quarters of a mile. Turn right. We have a GPS in us who guides us, folks. But if we miss the turn, guess what? He'll get us there as long as we'll obey. He'll get us there. Now, that's, it's very evident that the Holy Spirit guides. If, if you have time this afternoon, read the story of 
of Paul and the mission team in Acts 16. They're, they're, they're wanting to go into Asia, and it says that the Holy Spirit forbade them. He, he, it was forbidden for them to go into Asia. And instead, he says, where do we go, Lord? You shut the doors everywhere else. And, and they saw a man standing in a vision, in, and he said, come over to Macedonia. They saw that as the guidance of the Holy Spirit. They went into Europe. And we're the rest of the story. Okay? The Holy Spirit guides the activities of believers. We'll talk a lot more about this in the weeks to come. The Holy Spirit also acts like a person. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures, and, and I'll be honest with you, they're going to flip up here, okay? So just write them down and look at them today sometimes. He guides us into the truth by hearing and speaking and showing. That's what John, Jesus said in John chapter 16, 3, 13. Scripture says in John 16, verse 8, that he convicts of sin. He performs miracles. If you don't think so, just read the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. When, he, when Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch and comes up out of the water, this is what Scripture says in Acts 8, 39. When they came up, came up out of the water, the Spirit of God snatched Philip away. I wouldn't mind traveling like that. <laughs> There's some places I'd like to be and not have to spend 23 hours getting there, okay? But he hasn't chosen to snatch. But he snatched Philip from that place, and Philip found himself at another place. Folks, that's miraculous. And according to Romans 8, 26... The Spirit of God intercedes and He prays. And by the way, I was just sitting here this morning. Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. This is a freebie here, okay? And you know, when I, when I, when I read Romans chapter 8, I, I, just, I always am I'm just caught up in the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. But this morning, God gave me eyes to see something that... that I, I knew it was there, but I didn't know it was there that many times. Seventeen times in the first 27 verses of Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God is mentioned. Seventeen times. Do you think God's trying to communicate something to us? I'm 60 years old. I just realized that truth. Folks, 17 times. So he intercedes, he prays for us according to Romans chapter 8, 26. The Holy Spirit also receives actions which can only be given to a person. If he's not a person and he's an it, he can't receive these actions. Listen to me, inanimate objects don't receive these kind of acts. Scripture says he's to be obeyed. We don't obey rocks, do we? Okay, we don't obey dirt, do we? Okay, Acts chapter 10, 19 through 21 says that the Holy Spirit is to be obeyed. He can be lied to. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. He can be resisted. Acts chapter 7, 51. Ephesians 4, 30 says he can be grieved. And folks, Matthew 12, 31 says he can be blasphemed. Hebrews 10, 29 says he can be insulted. You can't do those things to an it. You can't do those things to an inanimate object. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but you add to those proofs 
what the writers of the New Testament did. They chose to use masculine pronouns like he and his to describe the Spirit. And they suspended normal grammatical rules. In other words, they went against the rules that they had learned in Greek class. Okay? How many of you took English with an English teacher that really enjoyed teaching English? I had some in high school. Okay? And if I mentioned their names, many of you would have sat in the same class. They didn't take lightly to breaking the rules. And so these guys, they broke these rules because the Holy Spirit is not an it, he's a he. I mentioned earlier that, that spirit is a, is a neuter word in the Greek. It, it's not male or female. They're masculine words. They're feminine words. And, and, and in a lot of languages, in Spanish, they're ma- masculine, feminine, and neuter. But the, the spirit is, is neuter. The, the word spirit is neuter, not masculine. And so in, in well-written Greek sentences, grammar rules require that neuter nouns have neuter pronouns. Okay? In other words, it instead of he or she. But the writers of Scripture chose to use masculine demonstrative pronouns. They chose he and him instead of it. John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14 is a beautiful example. I want you to listen to me. Every time I say he or, uh, well, just he or, or his. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whenever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what's to come. He will glorify me for he will take care of mine and will disclose it to you. Do you reckon Jesus is trying to tell us something there? Nine times. He uses he or his. John breaks the grammatical rules of Greek nine times. Why? Because the Spirit of God is a person, not an it. So why do I share all this information with you today? I know some of you feel like, my God, I'm on information overload. Okay? Because we need to know who the Holy Spirit is. All right? If, If we don't learn who He is, we're never going to trust Him. If we're unsure and we're, we're, we're uncertain and we're mixed up, you know what? We don't know what we believe about the Spirit of God. And so if we don't know what we believe, there's no way we're going to surrender our life's decisions and allow Him to guide us. Listen, if I don't know who He is, I'm not going to trust Him in His job decision. I'm not sure of who he is. I, I'm not going to trust him when, when I'm picking treatments out for a, a, a life-threatening disease. If I, if I don't trust him, I, I'm going to make my own decisions because I'm unsure of who he is and what he wants. If you don't trust a person, you won't invite that person over to your house. Okay? Let's just be honest. You won't listen to what that person has to say. You won't spend any time with that person, and you sure won't have a genuine relationship with that person. So folks, listen. I I just want to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. Eagles Wing Church, that's the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. Hello, my name is. That's what he's standing here beside me saying. Hello, my name is the Holy Spirit. That's who the Bible says he is. He's God. Number one, he's God. Number two, he's a person. 
And number three, he wants you to trust him. He wants you just to relax. He's not going to make you do crazy things. Okay? He just wants a relationship with you. He wants you to get to know him. He wants you to have a genuine relationship with you, which will enable you and empower you to walk as Jesus walked. That's all the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to guide. Jesus has put himself in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm going to go out on a limb right now. But how many of you have ever heard or used the term, ask Jesus into your heart? You know who came when you did that? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus. He came. We ask him in to take over. But we never take our hands off the steering wheel. And we wonder why things are like they are. And why is my life in a turmoil? Why did I make that crazy decision that led me to this this terrible place? Why, why, why? Because, bro, you're driving. Sister, you're driving. And he's not. And he just wants to drive. He wants you to slide over into the other side and relax I wish I could say this I love it when Kathy drives okay I really mean this but I get all tensed out okay (laughs) I do I'm being honest with you know what I'm learning to do I close my eyes (laughs) and it's she's a great driver I don't mean that it's just when you're sitting over there you don't have the steering wheel And I don't care how hard you stomp on the floor, and I do, there's no break over there, okay? She's a a great driver, but I enjoy, I don't want to drive. And yet, I'm over there just like this, because I won't relax, and I won't trust her. Folks, that's the picture of all of us when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I know I said you could drive, but hey, I'm going to drive, I'm going to do this. So I'm just learning to close my eyes and take a deep breath. And you know what happens? I calm down. You know what else happens? What I thought was going to happen never happens. We don't run into anybody. We don't miss the turn. I'm learning to just be quiet and just close my eyes. And then when I open them back up, everything's okay. It's not because she's about to run into anything. It's because... In my mind, I want to control the situation. Folks, you can't be in control if the Holy Spirit is going to be in control. You just can't. You just can't. It's either Him or you or me. We've got to let Him take control. When He takes control, when we really believe... He is who the Bible says He is. I mean, listen, we trusted Jesus with our eternity, right? None of us are laying awake at night worrying about the fires of hell and when I get to heaven, my insurance card's going to be out of date and I'm not going to get in. I mean, very few people do worry about that once they come to grips with who Jesus is. Listen, Jesus gave us the Spirit of God to get us to that place. So if Jesus has the eternal stuff taken care of, the Holy Spirit can take care of the temporal stuff. That's why the Holy Spirit's here, to get us to the place where the marriage takes place, okay? And Jesus is going to make sure his bride gets there. That's why he gave us 
His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.